What is up everyone? Welcome to The Venue RX. On this show, we are passionate about documenting and sharing best practices around owning, operating, and managing world-class wedding venues. And I love what I get to do on this show so much. I get to talk to amazing venue owners. We've had this venue owner series that's been so much fun. We also have typical uh, podcast guests who come on and share different experiences that they've had in the industry or different tools and uh, different projects and things they're working on that actually help make venue ownership and venue management easier and better. And today we have one of those shows for you. We uh, have the pleasure of talking to Randy Bushell from Mary. Thank you so much for being here today, Randy. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Well, I'm excited as well. I think the product that you guys have is really cool. And there is so much of this show, you know, for anyone who hasn't listened to us before, or, you know, is maybe first time joining us, watching us, the point of this show really is, you know, wedding venue and events venue education, uh, and then providing those tools and those, those tips and those tricks and all the different things that make the learning process uh, better and smoother. And so we want to be a resource there. And I think the product that you guys have to offer is, is very cool. It is a um, event design platform. Uh, can, you, can you share with our audience what, what you guys have going on over there? Yeah, so I think a good way to summarize it, it it's a 3D event design platform. Um, feedback that we get a lot, which I think helps is, you know, it kind of feels like you're playing The Sims, but planning an event. Um, and so the concept is you have a physical space, a venue, whether that is, you know, indoor, outdoor, mixed, what have you. And it's really hard for your clients to kind of visualize what their event might look like in that space. So we create a 3D model of that space. And the benefit of it being a 3D model is it becomes interactive as opposed to just like a tour that you can walk around. And so when I say interactive, I mean, you're kind of dragging and dropping your tables and your linens and your draping and your tent. So like all of these details that your clients really want to see, um, they can now build either with your help or on their own in this 3D model of your venue. That's huge. That's huge. That, that has so many implications, obviously, for planning the event itself. But then is this a tool that normally venues provide to couples or is this a tool that wedding planners are using with their couples or kind of who are your direct clients? Both actually. Okay. Um, so we work with venues directly. We also work with event planners and designers. And we also work with rental companies um, because they love what we're doing because it's effectively a virtual showroom for their products. So when you're designing an event on there, you have access to inventory that the venue provides but then you also have access to all of the inventory that you might need to rent you know, or buy for the event. So we bring those things together. Um, but to directly answer your question, you know, some of the venues we work with have in-house planners. And so then you know, they're really using it with their clients. Some of the venues you work with are like, I don't want to deal with the planning process of this. So this is actually great because I can just offer this to my clients and they can do it themselves. So it kind of runs the, the spectrum depending on how you want to manage the planning side of your business. That is so cool. That's that's such a great service because I know the vis visualization piece, I, I know it's tough often for couples to see the space all gussied up and tables and chairs and everything all laid out. And it's, and it's difficult because unless you're in this industry and unless you have that capability of kind of envisioning what it looks like, it is tough. And they're buying that finished product. And so you're able to kind of provide that for them. Can you give me a little bit of your background in the industry, how you got in the wedding and events industry and, and why and how marry? 
Yeah. Um, so in 2018, I was planning my wedding and I was that client you just referenced that <laughs> really struggled to understand like, how is this actually going to come to life? I'm like missing the part of my brain that has imagination in it. Um, and so I found myself one night trying to kind of cobble together an image of it in PowerPoint. And I literally like took, I, I think I went to Google and I got like a brick wall because my, my venue was a loft. And then I put like, you know, a gray velvet swatch because that was a linen we were having and some different flowers. And I was like spending hours creating this like quote unquote rendering. And that was my light bulb moment. Um, I was like, how am I spending all of this time building something that first and foremost isn't to scale? Like I had no idea if what I was doing was going to fit in the venue. And two, it just seemed like there was such an opportunity for the venue and the vendors to use this as an opportunity to like sell their product or, or services to me when I was looking for it. Um, and so up until that point, I worked in e-commerce. Um, and so that's kind of where the light bulb moment came off where I was like, you know, when you're designing your home, you know, there's that button of like, see this dresser in your room, right? Or like, see what this lipstick looks like on your face. And so everyone has this kind of like try before you buy functionality, but it didn't exist for my wedding, <laughs> which arguably is like the most risky purchase you're making because you really only have one chance to get it right and, and you're spending a ton of money. So that was, you know, the, the acute light bulb moment, but I think kind of like years of e-commerce experience rolled up to you know, bring together the concept. I, I love that. I love the background, how the background that you have influenced what, what you do. I've seen that so many times in the guests that I've interviewed on this show. They bring the best of what they've learned in maybe what was considered an unrelated industry, and they apply that into the industry that we have here. And I also said, I feel like a lot of the wedding and events industry is pretty archaic, given yeah. the fact that we're a multi-billion dollar industry. We are, and especially for venues, I mean, this is a massive purchase. Venues, catering companies, I mean, these are massive, massive, hypothetically, once-in-a-lifetime purchases. And so it feels strange to me that we wouldn't have like the best tech or like, you know, you go buy a car and the car is, you know, what, 30 or 50 or $80,000, depending on what you're buying. And they've got all sorts of, you know, sophisticated tools for marketing, selling, CRMs, like all the stuff. And so um, I love that there are more, more products like yours coming into our space. Talk to me about how Mary, like take me after that. So you have this light bulb moment. Okay, we need to do, you know, we need to get this started. Um, what's your next move? Yeah. So I probably sat on the idea for two or three months. Um, you obviously don't know me on a personal level, but I'm a very risk averse person. So I never in my life would have envisioned myself as someone like entrepreneurial because I like safety. Yeah. <laughs> which is the opposite of, of starting your own business and, and really putting yourself out there. So I was like, I'm really going to do this, you know, but it just felt like such a, a good and obvious idea. So finally I was like, I'm going to go for it. Like now is the time. I don't have a family. Like let's take the risk. Um, can we talk, so can we that, talk about that for a second? Because yeah. I am actually very similar to that. Really? Yeah, which is really funny because I, I own a motorcycle. <laughs> I do a bunch of like risky things, I feel like, 
um, like if you think about it objectively, but I am actually like, I, I feel about myself that I am pretty risk adverse. In fact, even growing up, I was like, I will never be an entrepreneur. It, the, you know, the path that I saw for myself was get a good college education, get a good stable job. Like the entrepreneurs, the ones who don't know where the food's coming from, you know, yeah. and you know, they, the entrepreneurs that I knew had large families and were kind of broke. I have a large family now and I'm an entrepreneur and so it's very much absolutely opposite than what I thought. What for you was the switch or the like the light bulb moment that took you from this very risk adverse person into someone who is, you know, doing something very risky, you know, being an entrepreneur? I think it's two things. This is like a very honest answer. I think the first was a bit of a chip on my shoulder. Um, the job that I had previously, I had, I was passed up for promotion and it was just like, it really affected me because I put everything into my career. And, you know, so I think I was kind of like, I'm going to prove them. I'm going to do something big. And quite frankly, there's like no better motivator than trying to prove someone wrong in life. So I, I think that was one thing. And then related to it, I started talking about it to people. And then I felt like, well, I put this out into the universe. Like, I can't just not do it now. So I guess my pride <laughs> um, kind of drove me to say, you know, I, I, I owe it to myself to, to try and do this and, and prove it to myself and to other people that I can. Hmm. So it sounds like a combination of that chip on your shoulder plus some pride because you did kind of expose yourself by putting the idea out there. So like you had to either... You had, a, you had your reputation to uphold almost, right? Yeah. yeah. That is so cool. I love that. And I love that we're talking about this at the beginning of the year, because I think there probably are a lot of people in your similar situation, you know, that couple years ago, four or five years ago now, um, who maybe have been passed up for a promotion or who really have wanted to do something, but have not quite taken that jump. And that might be venue ownership, right? That might be someone who was a planner working under another planner and wants to start their own planning company. Right. And so those two steps of kind of saying, you know, I'm going to prove someone wrong in my life or, you know, maybe even prove my own self-doubt wrong, mm -hmm. you know, coupled with like sharing with a couple of people to kind of give yourself that kick in the pants. That's huge. That's so cool. Thank you for sharing that yeah. with us. Yeah. And there was definitely a moment where I was a little bit like paralyzed in fear where when I was like, okay, I guess I'm doing this, you know, and then to get back to your question of like, well, what now, <laughs> you know, but obviously in hindsight, I'm super glad that I gave myself the push to do it. <laughs> Absolutely. Could you share with us a little bit of what your first year in business was like? I started working on this with my co-founder. So my co-founder is my chief technology officer. He and I worked together at my, my previous job. Um, and so I just knew of him as a really great engineer. Um, and when I brought the idea to him, we, we met at a coffee shop in New York. And we have that very like stereotypical cliche, like draw it on a napkin moment, you know? Um, and he was like, okay, I'm in, I think this is a good idea. I can build this. Um, so that was call it February, 2019. We launched our beta six months later with 10 venues in, in the New York city market. Um, so summer, 2019. Okay. We were gathering like a lot of really great learnings from that initial set of 10 venues. Um, and then COVID hit. 
<laughs> um, as we were kind of gearing up for a more public launch. Um, so literally one, like one year, almost to the day after we start, we decided to do this full time, um, was when COVID hit. Wow. Tell me, so you started in the New York market. That's, is that where you're located? It's where I'm personally located. Yes. So how did you get those first 10 venues to sign on? Like, how did you, what, what were those first conversations like? So for the first 10 venues, I knew that I needed to pull together a set of like highly regarded, highly esteemed venues um, as a proof point to the market, as well as investors, because we have outside investors that like, you know, there's some kind of like stamp of approval um, from, you know, high-end luxury top tier venues, whatever you want to call it. So what I did was I made a list of all the venues in the New York City market. And I don't know, I probably had a list of like a hundred venues that fit the criteria that we wanted to work with. And I got in touch with one of the, one of the, like an event planner in the New York market. I forget how actually. And she actually told me, she was like, I had this idea for a business five years ago, but I don't know how to build it. She's like, so I'm so excited that you are, are doing it. Like we need this so that in the market, like how can I help? And she just made a bunch of introductions for me. Like she just emailed to these venues and said like, I met Randy, this is the idea, it's great, like you should meet. And that was how I, I literally went to every venue, like laptop in hand with like a PowerPoint deck. And I said, like, here's what we want to do, we'll join, you know, and it was free at the time, but I was just looking for people who would give us feedback, yeah. um, you know? So that was an initial set of like, I said like 10. And then I think we brought on like five more um, two to three months later. <laughs> That's so cool. But then COVID hits, right? Mm -hmm. Wow. What, so, and I don't want to spend too much time on COVID because I'm really actually interested in, in what your product specifically does and, you know, kind of how it, how it can help venues specifically. Uh, but through COVID, you know, that was probably just about the time that you were starting to think about monetizing it. And then obviously everybody is shutting it down. What, <laughs> Talk to me about what, what that was like. Like, how did you, what was your mentality during that time? Like, how did you pivot or not? Talk to me a bit that. Yes. So, you know, New York City was, I think, the first place to shut down and the last, one of the last to open back up. And so when you looked at our, our usage metrics, again, it was a small subset of people, but it just, it was a flat line, right? Like, there was nothing to plan. <laughs> um, and so I remember at that time, one of our institutional investors called me and he said, just shut it down. He said, no one will blame you. Like I will fund the next thing that you decide to do to shut it down. And I looked at him over the phone and he said, like, what do you mean? Like, that's how easy you give up. You know, like this isn't going to last forever. Granted coming from someone who packed a suitcase for two weeks thinking it was only going to last two weeks. Right. Um, I believe in this, like we have the right team in place, like we'll get through it. Um, but that's kind of how dire it was, you know? Um, and so I kind of just went into like conservation mode. So unfortunately I had to make the tough decision of like laying off six employees, um, which is never easy, but my entire focus at that time was survive. Mm -hmm. survive and make sure you, you get to wherever the end is of this, knowing that it wasn't going to be forever. Now, once we kind of got past that hump, 
I, in hindsight, I actually think it was one of the best things that ever happened to us because we just went back into build mode. So I wasn't distracted with monetizing this and selling it and marketing it. We could just continue to build the product. And so we were like, that was a gift, you know, like anybody who develops software knows that you're never done. And it's this constant like rat race of different customer requests coming in. What are you prioritizing first? What comes next? How do you just keep up with constantly evolving and building and iterating? Well, we just got this like quiet time to keep building. Yeah. I, I, that resonates with me so much because we had a similar thing. Like we were just reaching a time in our business that was at that point a staffing business primarily. And COVID kind of shut everything down. And I think for, for everyone, right? It shut everything down for various amounts of time. And we're here in California. I think we trailed you guys in New York in, in you know, how uh, early things shut down and late they opened up. But it did give that, that quiet time that once you kind of calmed the fear and some of the emotions, yeah. it allowed you to really focus and say, okay, now that I'm setting my sights on continuing and not just closing up shop, what does this need to look like? Um, and, and so that's, that's really cool to hear. Okay. So let's talk about the product itself because it is, you know, you kind of mentioned like anyone who's building software or a tech product or something like that. Um, how are you continuing to scale and are there changes that have been made to the product, the current product that are different than when you first started out because of the research that you've done now? Oh gosh. Yes. Um, you know, there's a quote, um, if you're not embarrassed by the first product you launched, then you waited too long to launch. Um, and it's very true. <laughs> I think back to, you know, what our product was and I'm like, Ooh, you know, I, I cringe, but you have to just get something out there to start testing and learning from. Right. Um, and so, you know, we, we work in, in two weeks sprints development wise. So quite literally every two weeks we're making pretty sizable releases to the product. So it's, it's constantly evolving. But if I had to kind of summarize for you kind of what it looks like now and, and what it looked like then, there's a few key things that I, I think are meaningful. So the first is, you know, three, four years ago, I used to go to every single venue because <laughs> we were in New York and measure and take pictures and pass that off to our 3D modelers, right? this was one of the gifts of COVID where we had to figure out how to scale geography agnostic because the first cities to open up were not New York. And so if we had any hope of surviving, we needed to move, you know, our, our markets. So um, we now have a ton of ways that we can kind of automate a lot of the onboarding process um, totally remotely. We never go to a venue anymore um, to onboard them. Um, the second thing is when we first launched Mary, because of the pain point that I felt as a consumer, we really leaned into 3D design. Um, and that really, really resonated with um, event planners and clients. On the venue side, what we learned, no one said this directly, it's reading through the lines, is like, the 3D is cool, but like, I really also just need to be able to make like floor plans, you know, like let me make a, a quick floor plan and then let me see it in 3D. 
And so we now have all these different modes, depending on what you're trying to do, where like you can do a quick diagram or see it all in 3D and do a walkthrough. So we're constantly listening to feedback from all of our customer segments because everyone kind of has unique needs, but there's, there's overlap, of course, um, and improving the product off of it. I was going to ask about those customer segments because based on what you told me before and even just now, you know, you do, your customers are couples, your customers are venues, your customers are planners in certain different senses. How do you, well, first, is that, is that an accurate read on it? Kind of. So we view our customers as venues, planners, and rental companies. The end consumer can use our product vis-a-vis -vis one of those other three people. So like as the venue, you can invite your client, but we don't market to them directly, if that makes sense. Understood. Understood. So your your end user or your client and maybe your mission and vision and values don't align to serving couples as specifically as they would align to serving the vendors that do serve the couples. Makes total sense. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Got it. Yeah, that's something that we're going through right now with with Common Sense Events, our venue management company, really sharpening. Like, do we serve couples? Do we serve the venue owners who we, you know, are actually working for in a way? You know, how do you develop a product uh, or a service that really, you know, serves not only your direct client, but then also the end user? How do you think about that? Because now you are designing a product that is your client is someone who is going to be servicing the couples, but the end user is the couple. So you really have to design something that the couples like using in tandem with these vendors. What's, what's your mindset around that? Yeah, it's really hard. <laughs> um, so first and foremost, what I'll say is um, we plan for that the primary people subscribing to the platform, meaning planners, venues, rental companies. But let me take a step back. When we first launched with those 10 venues, based on, again, me being the bride who had my pain points, our business model actually was only to work with venues to help them with their clients. So it was like a B2B to C model, but like really focused on like the client. And what we quickly learned was like, that's not a good customer to try to build the software for because they've never planned an event before. So you not only have to educate them on how to use your software, but you have to educate them on how to plan an event. And I don't want that job. <laughs> um, I don't want that added to the list. And so that's when we realized that no, we should really, we should continue working with venues, but we should really work with event planners too. Um, and that took a lot of the onus on like educating around like industry standards, right? Um, off, off of us, because they're kind of just known. Um, and all of the kind of onus being on how to use our tools and, and software, which is also an, an ever-evolving process, because it's one thing to build the feature. It's another thing to build it in a way that is very easy to use um, and find. Um, I, I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah, it totally did. All right, so tell me, we've kind of talked a little bit about you know, what the product does, and we'll get into that a little bit more here in a second, but uh, talk to me about the pricing. How are you pricing this out to the planners? You said planners, venues, and rental companies are your current people, right? Okay, good. So how, what's your pricing like, and, and what does it cost to get signed up? Yeah, so it's a little different depending on you know, which customer segment you're in. So let's start with um, venues. So venues, currently, um, it's $1,800 a year. 
um, that gives you unlimited licenses and unlimited events. We do not limit how much you can use the platform. Um, Thank you. Huge, huge, yeah. I want you to all of your events. Yeah. Um, you do have an opportunity to like upgrade to what we call like a premium 3D model versus a classic 3D model. So there's a ton of options and happy to walk people through them. But for the sake of this <laughs> podcast, um, kind of, you know, 1800 and then optionally. Um, rental companies, completely variable in size of inventory. I'll leave it at that. Um, and then planners, you have two options, either $19 a month for our professional package or $39 a month for what we call our all access package, which allows you to kind of upload images of florals or like any unique inventory that you have that wouldn't be in our catalog and add those to your design as well as add some custom like branding elements to your client dashboards and exports and things like that. There's so many different pieces of this. It's just, it's fascinating to me. How do you decide on the user interface, kind of the UI side of things, user experience, how do you decide what to prioritize? Like what changes to make first? I mean, I can think of apps and like, you know, I mean, there's so many different directions. I know you've thought of those in, you know, times a hundred. How do you decide what to prioritize? So we go through an annual quarterly and monthly planning process. So literally today, um, we finalized our 2023 strategy. I know it's already 2023. Um, and what that defined was what I call like core pillars of growth. Um, and we have three of them. And so now what I will go do is we have a backlog of all of the features that someone on the team has ever wanted us to build, that a customer has asked us to build, like anything, right? And I'm going to score all of these hundreds of features based on these pillars of growth. And what kind of impact will they have? So will it have like a small impact on pillar one, but a, a large impact on pillar two? And that would, you know, outrank something that would have a small impact across all three, obviously, or something like that. So that's kind of the objective approach that we take of, okay, here's kind of the universe of things that we know we want to build. Um, this is our strategy. Let's score those things against the strategy the things that will have the highest impact to hitting those goals and executing on that strategy should float to the top. And then you have to layer some art onto it, right? Um, because you can't just only do like massive projects, right? Like the things that have really high impact, they might all be things that take a really long time to build. So you might also want to throw some things in there that are like smaller, quick wins, but in aggregate make up, you know, a, a, a decent um, change. So then we kind of take it back to the team and our customer success people. And we're like, you guys are boots on the ground. Does this feel right? Do we need to kind of prioritize anything that you're not seeing on this list? And then we break it down and we say, okay, here's what we're going to do in January. Here's what we're going to do in February, March, et cetera, et cetera. And then every quarter we reprioritize because things change. And then every month things change again. And so it, it, it's really important. And, and I think something that we do really well is like get that annual view knowing that it's gonna change, but you just need that like backbone and then quarterly, monthly read and react to kind of what is working, not working. And by the way, we might've released something two months ago that everyone's loving and we're like, okay, great. Let's actually keep building on top of that and forget doing these other things. Yeah. 
I, I totally love that. I think it's very apropos, again, that we're talking about some of these goal setting things this time of year. But I think you can apply this, like let's say that you know you don't like the goals that you've set and it's June, you know, and you're listening to this podcast or, or watching online and you're like, you know, I, I want to start this process. That is something that you can do anytime. Where did you oh, yeah. learn to break it down like that? That's a really good question. So in my last role, um, I was a, it, it's called product strategy and digital product strategy kind of sits at the intersection of engineering and the business. And, and your job is to take all of the inputs from the business side, which is a lot, <laughs> And one, translate that to something that engineers will understand and, and care about, um, but two, prioritize it because you simply cannot do everything that somebody wants you to do in any job. <laughs> um, and so you get a lot of experience with just like prioritization frameworks and thinking about things from like broad to narrow. So like, okay, what problem are we trying to solve how do I break that down into milestones or pillars or uh, work streams, right? Um, whatever, insert whatever buzzword you want. <laughs> um, and it, I actually find it fun. Like, I think it's kind of a puzzle to take this like kind of nebulous business challenge and break it down until it's like, yeah, we can do this, right? Like this, this is easy because you've broken it down to such tiny steps that feel achievable. Yeah, that's, that's so cool. I love that for our venue owners. Anyone who's listening right now who has a venue, I think it's, it is tough to be in the weeds, constantly feel like you're in the weeds with a bunch of different things. And you know, the, especially the owner operators who are listening right now, who are wearing all of the hats, who are at their venues, who are setting up, tearing down, and maybe even with small teams, um, it's easy to kind of get in, in the business and be focusing on all these things, head down and in. Uh, versus looking up and out and understanding, you know, what do we want to do for this year? What do we want our full year to look like? And so I think there's huge application, you know, for our venue owners who are not necessarily, you know, running tech companies, they're running their venue, but they still need to know, okay, how many events do we want to book? How many events do we want to execute? Two different things, right? Um, depending on where they're at in the life cycle of their business. So how many do we want to book? How many do we want to execute? You know, how many reviews do we want to get? You know, what do we want to get as far as feedback so that we can change certain things around the property? What big projects? So like I can see some of these things, but matching them to the pillars, I liked that because it kind of brings a value piece in there and different owners have different values. You know, we've heard from wedding venue owners in, in Utah and in New York and in you know Texas and all sorts of different places throughout the country. Um, tying it back there is really powerful. So thank you for like making that point and helping helping us that way. I know it's not specifically Mary related, but it'll make an impact for people. Let's go back to Mary. Let's talk about the uh, the interface when someone gets signed up. Let's take a venue for example. What can someone expect? What's the process like on, on in onboarding? So you will first work with one of our salespeople and they, you will sign a contract with them. And that's when you'll decide if you want that, you know, upgraded premium rendering or not. It's literally a one and a half page contract. We make it super easy. They're good people. Uh, you sign a contract and then immediately you are introduced to your operations or onboarding manager. Um, you get invited to a portal and we need two things from you. A floor plan 
obvious, hopefully, why we need a floor plan to make the 3D model to scale, as well as reference photos, right? We need to know on this wall, are there windows or curtains and in the ceiling, is there a chandelier, right? So we need reference imagery to make the 3D model operate. You will upload those items. Um, the onboarding manager will let you know, yep, we're good, we have what we need. That gets passed into our um, 3D art production pipeline. And then generally within three to four weeks, you're live. Wow. How does someone go about getting a floor plan if they don't currently have one? That's also a really good question. And some going back to your earlier point around being an industry outsider, sometimes when you're an industry outsider, you make assumptions that you shouldn't have made. <laughs> Um, and starting Mary, an assumption that I had was every venue has a floor plan. I truly thought that. I was oh, like, because no. they all should. <laughs> I was like, how does event like how do you not have a floor plan? Like, don't you mean the like, the fire department or like the, the the building code, right? Like, it was just an assumption that I made. Four years later, I learned that I should definitely not have made that assumption. Um, so there's a few options. The first is there's actually like a free website. Don't quote me on this. I think it's called floorplanner.com um, where you can like draw your space out and just add in measurements. I think that's the best option. Um, we do have some people hand draw it for us. Um, but the challenge there is, I mean, you're hand drawing it. It's probably not going to be to scale. Um, and so the door might be two feet off because we're going to go off of, of what you sent to us. So I would recommend doing floor planner because human error is kind of less prevalent when you're doing it digitally than on hand. The, the third thing is you can hire someone actually to create it for you. Now, you might not want that additional expense. Um, it's not what we do. So we don't make money off of this. You would have to just like hire an independent contractor to do it. But to your point, you probably should have a floor plan anyways. <laughs> um, and so, you know, if you are willing to take all that expense, we can kind of help guide you in someone that would be good to hire to do it. Hmm. That's, that's really cool. And it seems like the whole process you said may take four to six weeks, depending on, you know, the back and forth and, and some of that. So then in that period of time, they have the, the tool, the renderings are done, and then the interface is ready for either the venue, the planner, or the rental company to use. And, and if we're talking about the rental company, that would be getting the pictures, all of the pictures of their inventory for the, okay. So okay. just replace floor plan and images with just images and like inventory spreadsheet. Understood, understood. Uh, so once that's done, and, and then is there any additional pieces for the planners? Because I assume there's no inventory most likely. Yeah, planners actually can just sign up on our homepage and then you can see all of the venues that we already have in our catalog and start using it day one. So super easy for planners because we don't have to necessarily like onboard your inventory or your property with venues and vendors. It's a little bit more of a process because we have to create the 3D models. Wow, what a great tool for planners because if you've already modeled out a space in their market, all they have to do is sign up to utilize them. And then when they go get hired to work at those different properties, that's already like a baked in bonus for them because those platforms already sit on your, or those venues already sit on your platform. Correct. Now, if you're a planner and let's say you log in and you're like, oh, you have like five venues in my market, but you don't have this other one that I need, right? Super annoying. Um, no problem. <laughs> 
Um, we've created a way where as long as you can upload a floor plan for us, we can create like a reduced rendering for you. It's not going to be the quality that you would expect if we're working directly with the venue because we won't have those reference images and you know the venue isn't quite frankly like paying to make that to bring it to life. Um, but it'll be to scale and we can use all of the same functionality on Mary. So, I mean, we work with thousands of planners today. I've actually pulled these metrics because I was writing up like a year end um, review. All 50 states and 64 countries, <laughs> we have planners in right now, which was completely accidental, by the way. Like we weren't like, let's go international. Um, <laughs> so, you know, and we definitely don't have overseas venues so it's it's still a, a good option you know to as a planner to, to be able to use a platform that's incredible what i the the business side of our brain can't help but thinking what a great way also to develop a uh, a leads list <laughs> right because that's that's great that's so cool okay so i want to pivot i want to talk about something um that is just it's trending right now it's hot it's coming out and i think it interfaces into your space a little bit and i'm curious your take on it and then we can we can wrap up with um with a couple things about like how to get in touch with you and things like that but what's your take on artificial intelligence and ai and how it's impacting not just copywriting and you know, that side of things, but then also the highly creative side with photos and different things like that. You know, do you have a perspective on, on how this is going to change our space? The hottest topic in, in the startup space right now, literally. Um, so I think it's really exciting. Um, and I think some of it is a little bit scary, but it's really exciting overall. Um, and I think that there's two ways that... AI can kind of change my, my business personally, but then, then broadly kind of the events industry. So the first is, can we use AI to make the 3D modeling process faster and less expensive? That's one, one component of it. Creating a 3D model is incredibly human intensive, incredibly. Um, and it's quite frankly what has um, made like this technology not meaning Mary, like widely available in this events industry because it's a really fragmented market with venues all over the place and it's really expensive to create these 3D models. So um, how can we use AI to take in some set of information and, and generate a 3D model? The short answer is we're nowhere near being able to do that yet. Not we meaning Mary, we meaning like the AI models that exist today, but like really cool to think about what that could look like in the next like 10 years. Um, what, what AI models can do today is basically take a text prompt. So I can say, create a 3D model of a, I don't know, pink velvet sofa or a centerpiece with hydrangeas, right? And it will generate something that it thinks is right according to those prompts. Now, thing with the events industry is it's not like made up things <laughs> like some random pink velvet sofa isn't going to be the pink velvet sofa that you're renting from your rental company and that white hydrangea centerpiece is not what you had in mind so I think text to image um, inputs are really interesting when it's more creative and you're okay with something either abstract or like somewhat aligned with what you were thinking. 
but for the events industry, you want it to be exactly what you're thinking. So right now, just AI isn't smart enough to be able to get that detailed. Will it get there? I think so. Um, and you'll just add on more and more variables, right? Well, sure, there's, you know, no one saying you can't say, give me a pink velvet sofa that's, you know, five feet by two feet, whatever, you know? Um, so I think that that part is interesting. But the second part that I think is way more interesting is being able to generate concepts from a text input. Now, this is generating an image, not generating a 3D model, but like pretty cool for you to say like, design a wedding for 300 people for a $100,000 budget in a barn with hanging lights and the color scheme is beige and blue. I don't know, right? That's really cool and probably something that we built. <laughs> um, it's not easy, you know, that's not kind of something that exists today that we can adopt, but I think being able to take like a creative concept and helping someone to envision it without having to do much work at all is just pretty exciting. That is, that's totally fascinating. And it's interesting when you put it that way. I haven't yet put out a video about AI and I've been dying to. I think it, it needs to happen here in the next week or so. Because um, I've been doing a lot of research and trying to understand it more and understand the implications and the impact of like what it's done and doing to other industries and then what what that's going to look like for the wedding and events industry but you're totally right and for background for everyone who you know you're listening to this like what the heck are they talking about like ai what is this so there's a a company called open ai um which is really kind of the forefront forerunner on on this but they made the they made access or basically gave access to the api code for artificial intelligence. And so there's been the different companies you might have seen like Lenza, you know, these people, you know, who do these renderings of themselves, the avatars. Yeah. The avatars yes. And so everyone might, might have seen those on social media. Well, that's what this is, except there's a piece of this called chat GPT. And then there's also uh, Dolly. And I think Dolly is kind of what you're more talking about. When I went on that website, I typed in, I think, uh, angry owl with a hat on or something. Yeah. Yeah, it's like some abstract idea. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. It, can do. It's nuts. And they gave me six different options of an angry owl with a hat on it. It had, you know, and, and it was, it was entertaining, but I love the piece that you said about kind of the operational piece of, of this. Like you have to have the actual sofa that's like going to go in the space, not just kind of some abstract pink velvet couch. Some abstract angry owl. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Unless it's for art. Right or unless it's for something creative, just like you mentioned. Um, so, so very cool. When you think about artificial intelligence, when you think about Mary, do you think there is a, a world in the future where you're bringing those two things together to kind of help the client experience, or maybe even provide more tools to your your clients? Totally. I think that we all, event planners and everybody else in the world, spends a lot of time doing tasks that. AI can help immensely with. I think where you're seeing the most obvious use case for this is like copywriting, you know, writing your marketing emails and things like that. And we want to add a lot into the platform this year around like client experience tools and automating a lot of those touch points. Um, so how can you basically set up rules where, you know, T minus 
30 days from an event, your client gets, you know, this notification and this email, or these are the decisions that they make, et cetera. So that's not AI, it's just kind of like automated workflows, but then thinking about, okay, how do you even like inject AI into that so that, you know, we as Mary recommend certain templates for you because your venue is this size or you do this many events a year versus this other type of venue. So using customer information to recommend different, you know, copy or different templates or different workflows, um, I think is where AI is really powerful. They're just a, make our product better, and then B, save you as the ultimate consumer time because our product is better. <laughs> totally. This is this is so cool. Well, we have to wrap up for today, but this has been so eye-opening, I think, to see like how your product, Mary, is impacting you know, the venues, the rental companies, the planners. It's such a, it sounds like such an incredible uh, tool for planners, but for venues as well. I mean, I'm even thinking about the venues that we manage. We've struggled with getting the layouts. You know, and, and I had that similar misconception. Like, of course, everyone would have an engineering plan or something yeah. to you know, show where the pipes are and show the spaces and the doorways. And, and that really doesn't exist. And if it does exist, it's rolled up somewhere in a tube that sits yeah. somewhere and you don't know where it is. Um, and so you know, I think if you're a venue owner listening to this, definitely invest some time you know, and get a professionally made layout because it'll help you as you're interested in taking on more tools that will help your clients. Um, but, you know, I think the product and what you're bringing into the market and, and modernizing this element and this piece is, is huge. So thanks for, what you're, thanks for what you're doing. And also, I'm excited to kind of stay in touch because I want to see as there are evolutions and as you maybe start, um, you know, implementing more of these things, I'm excited to see how Mary continues to grow. Thank you for having me. Yeah, definitely. Really quick before we wrap up for today, if someone either wants to reach out to you personally or they're fascinated with Mary, they want to get started, um, you, we're going to have some general information about you know, the website and things like that in the description uh, and, and you know, the notes on the podcast, but where should people reach out to you if they want to connect? Yeah, so you can reach me personally at randy, R-A-N-D-I, at bmary.com, E-E-M-E-R-R-I.com. And then our website is just bmary.com. Beautiful. Awesome. Randy, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Uh, it's, been, it's been a pleasure talking. So fun. Thank you for having me. Hey there. Thanks so much for listening. If you are a return listener, could you do me a huge favor and consider rating and reviewing the show? We don't run ads. We're not really looking to do that. But we do want to grow the show. And so my ask to you is you take a moment or two and rate the show wherever you're listening to it, whether that is Apple Music, Spotify, uh, even if you're on you know, YouTube, I'd love, to, I'd love to hear from you. Please shoot me a DM though on Instagram so that I can thank you personally and I'd love to shout you out as well. I appreciate you more than you can imagine. All right, back to the show.